She came home from school with all the wide-eyed excitement of an eager eight-year-old, clutching the clarinet case to her like a favorite teddy bear. She had had her first music lesson on the new instrument that morning. She couldn't wait to get the instrument out and show it to her parents. She put the music carefully on the shiny new stand. She adjusted the reed the way she'd been shown. And suddenly, conscious, conscious of her audience, she tried to play the little tune the teacher had taught her. As with every other beginner, some of the notes sounded right, but several came out with a squawk like a, like a distressed hen. Her father, tired after a long working day, couldn't bear it any longer. Her mother, trying to say the right thing, suggested she go and play the tune in the other room. She held back her tears as she was walking out of the door. A few squawks could be heard from the other room and then silence. Within a few weeks, the clarinet had been returned to the school and the lessons had been canceled. Ten years later when I met her, the memory of rejection was still fresh and unhealed. All right, we think. We know that families are often less tolerant of their own members than of people from outside. We know that people are often ready to learn new things from other people, but not from their parents or children. But surely we think Jesus should have been different. After all, He was, well, He was Jesus, the Son of God, the greatest teacher the world had ever known. Surely His own family and His own village would welcome Him with open arms. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt compelled to share your faith with a close family member or a close friend. I don't know if you've ever ventured out into the conversations of uh, the deep questions of life with a family member or friend, but they can be some of the most difficult folks to share your story with, can't they? Sometimes our family and our close friends can be the ones that are the most challenging for us to step up and step out and be able to share with. We're going to continue and kind of kind of wrap up the series that we've been doing in Matthew 13 tonight. And as we do that, we're going to kind of take a look at kind of what, what the reaction was as Jesus walked in to his hometown with his friends and his family. And he walks in and we're going to actually get to observe observe what happened and what their reaction actually was to him and, and ultimately to the message about who he is and who he was. I can remember being 17 and, and at 17 was the moment when I, I really gave my life to Christ and I said, God, whatever it is that you want from my life, I'm, I'm opening my life up to you, I'm yours. And I can remember trying to share that, you know, all, all that God had done and all that He was teaching me and doing in my life at that age. I remember trying to share that with a group of my friends who simply didn't get it. And not only did they not get it, but they were actually hostile about it. They actually were, um, were willing to, to put our friendship aside to be able to make fun of me for this sort of newfound journey that I had begun. And, and I think, to be honest, they were thinking, you know what, he's in a phase. It's, it's going to pass. 
this isn't going to last anyway. We'll just kind of let him go through this phase. He'll get this religious thing out of his system, and then he'll be back to normal. Well, the truth of the matter is, once I had encountered Jesus, certainly I have not been perfect on this journey, but once I encountered Christ, I never would be the same again. So let's take a look at Matthew 13. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles up here. Feel free to just come up and grab one if you'd like. And, uh, and if not, then I, I'm going to be reading it to you, so you'll hear it either way. Matthew 13, starting at verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, He moved on from there. And coming to His hometown, He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Now, the two clearest things that we can see from that particular portion of the text and these are a couple blanks on your handout there if you're following along in your notes, those closest to us can often be the hardest to share our story with. Those closest to us can often be the hardest to share our story with. And then next, those closest to us often have the hardest time receiving from us. Those closest to us often have the hardest time receiving from us. I think part of it is, You know, kind of like my friends when I was 17, they're like, you know, we're standing here listening to this guy that we used to run around and get in trouble with on Friday and Saturday night, and now this same guy's trying to tell us about this change that's happened in his life. They just weren't ready to receive that because they're thinking, oh, that's Walt that we used to run around with and act like idiots, and all of a sudden he wants to tell me about the difference that Christ has made in his life. It's hard for them to receive that from us. Now, the verse that I want us to kind of spend a little bit of time with, because I think verses 53 through 57 are are pretty self-explanatory. I think that it, it shows us that if Jesus had the reaction from people that, hey, um, they didn't receive it, they weren't comfortable with it, then chances are, we are actually going to have a similar reaction. And we shouldn't be surprised when that reaction comes about. Now, the big idea for tonight is actually uh, more centered even around verse 58. And, And here's the big idea. You can write this down on your handout as well if you choose. God working in our lives is more about our openness than His willingness. God working in our lives is, about our, is more about our openness than His willingness. Now, now, let me make that make sense. You see, God is always willing to work in our lives. God is always desiring to have more of a relationship with us. He's always desiring to go to work in our heart and in our mind and to make us more like Christ. But the contingency on whether or not He's doing that in our lives 
is our openness. Because He doesn't force life change on us. We have to be open to the concept of life change. We have to be open to whatever it is that He wants to do in our lives. Now verse 58 kind of, uh, kind of articulates that and it says this, And He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Another translation says, He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Their unbelief. Now, in Christian circles, there's a lot thrown out there about belief and faith. And if you just have enough faith, then this will happen. And if you believe hard enough, then this will happen. I can remember uh, being in the ninth grade, actually going into the ninth grade, and my aunt who had battled with cancer um, for, for most of my life from that point, uh, from, from the, the point of me probably being in about third grade uh, all the way up to the time that I was in ninth grade, we had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would heal her. Um, she did beat the odds. She had uh, several years when they re- the doctor said she would only have several months. And her prayer was, God, will you please just allow me to see uh, if I can't be fully healed, will you at least allow me to see my children to graduate from high school? And they had both graduated from high school at that point. And uh, in the beginning of my ninth grade year, she passed away. Now, some people might say, well, you know, she just didn't have enough faith. Or you didn't believe quite enough or... Um, you know, they, they take a scripture that says uh, the power of life and death comes from the tongue and they twist that to mean that we just have to say that we're going to be healed or say that it's going to happen and it happens when in actuality that scripture is not talking about that at all. It's talking about the fact that our words have the power to encourage and build someone up or our words have the power to tear someone down. That, that's the idea of that scripture. So there's a lot of stuff out there about belief and faith and unbelief. And so what I want us to do is, is I've kind of just gone through and made a list of fact and fiction about the power of belief. What are things that are factual about belief? What are things that are fictional about belief? The first thing is unbelief causes us to not approach God. Unbelief ultimately ultimately paralyzes us spiritually. Unbelief brings us to a place where we go, you know what, I'm not even going, I'm not even going to approach God. I'm not even going to go to God. I'm going to sever the communication in that relationship. Unbelief is the catalyst for us not even approaching Him, not even going to Him. Next, unbelief does not mean coming to God but not believing enough. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier, is that unbelief doesn't mean, hey, we, we came to God and we asked Him to do this and it didn't happen, but it just means that we didn't believe enough. You see, we talked earlier in Matthew about the idea of, of faith as a mustard seed and that that seed of faith is all that is required to come to God. That's all that's required for God to to be able to grow and do something in our lives. It's just that smallest of of seeds of faith. That's all that it takes for Him to begin to do work 
in our lives. And is there any other greater illustration of a small seed of faith than the idea of just simply going to God? The act of even approaching Him is an act of faith and belief. And so it's not a matter of saying you don't have enough faith because you've already exercised faith in approaching Him and going to Him to begin with. We think about faith and belief a lot when we're talking about this idea of healing. And here at Renovation, we teach that, uh, that God does heal today, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that God does heal people. But we see and we know that, that everyone that we pray for for healing doesn't get healed. Some do and some don't. And that's because we live, as we've said many times, in this already and not yet place where Jesus has ushered in the kingdom, but the kingdom is coming again. And so we're living in the middle where these little glimpses of the coming kingdom happen in these moments of healing and miracles and prophecy and words of knowledge and and tongues and evangelism and seeing people come to Christ. We get these um, these little glimpses of the coming kingdom. So we pray for people to be healed. Not everyone's healed, but what we believe is if you don't ask then nobody will be healed. So we're going to ask and we're going to trust Him to do what only He can do, which is bring about that healing. Next, unbelief can also be wrong belief. Unbelief can also be wrong belief. You see, the fruit of unbelief is the same as the fruit of wrong belief. They both equally bring about the same things. Now, the reason that we here at Renovation hold this book, the Bible, to be the inerrant, infallible, perfect Word of God, the reason that we hold to that is because we believe that God is the one who inspired these authors to write these words. We believe that ultimately He is the source of these words. And so if He is the source of these words, then how do we have right belief about who He is? Well, we must know this book. It is the way that He has designed for us to get to know Him and for us to be able to believe properly about who He is. Because if we're going to approach Him in belief, then we need to have a proper understanding of who we're approaching correct? And so we have, to, we have to go to God's Word and know it. The next thing, unbelief does not diminish God's power, but it does diminish God's will. Now, let, me, let me kind of explain that. There's nothing that we're going to do that would diminish or change the power of God. His power is always, always at its height. It doesn't diminish, it doesn't change, it doesn't uh, evolve or devolve or, 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 or begin to, to fluctuate. His power is, He's always all-powerful at all times. But our unbelief can diminish His will because, as I said earlier, He's not going to force 
life change on us. And so if we have unbelief, then we are actually cutting off His willingness to work in our lives. Is it, is it that He's not able at that point to do it? No, He's fully able. But we have made a choice to say, I don't believe. I'm not going to exercise faith. And therefore, we sever and put, and put a block between us and His willingness to work. You see, He didn't change, right? We're the ones that put up the blockade. The next thing, belief is faith followed by action. Belief is faith followed by action. This idea of belief is not simply, hey, you know, I believe some things about God, and so I'm going to write down, okay, I believe this about God, and I believe this about Christ, and I believe this about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you, you can write an entire book about a belief system, but if there's not action that follows that belief, then it's, it's really useless. It's really worthless. What's the first basic step of faith in action? Well, that first basic step is you going to God and saying, I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm going to stake, I'm going to stake my life on the person who I say I believe in, and that person is Jesus Christ. That ultimately is what belief is. It's faith that takes action. And from there, we begin to have Him working in our lives. And then from there, we begin to get the privilege of being able to work in other people's lives. That's the, the way the kingdom works. Because you see, ultimately, He doesn't work in our lives just for us. He works in our lives so that we can be a catalyst and a bridge for other people to then have that encounter and that experience with Him. Now, lastly, belief does not look at God as a personal genie, but as a perfect Father. You see, believing God doesn't mean that we rub the lamp and the genie pops out like in Aladdin, you're getting your three wishes. You know, it's not that kind of thing. Or he pops out and we go, I, I, want, a, I want a new house or I want a new car or, you know, I want to go to Disney World or, you know, whatever. All right? That's not what believing God looks like. Instead, believing God is understanding that you can approach him like a perfect father. Now, here, here's what I understand. What I understand is that in a room with folks in it like, like this room, there's going to be people who don't have a good earthly example of a father. Okay? And you're going to say, man, I would never go to my father for anything. Because all I would get would be his eyes rolling at me or him having some sarcastic comment or him slamming the door in my face. I, I would never... I would never go to my father, so I, I really have a hard time understanding how I could go to God as a perfect father. The problem is we take our experiences with a human father, an imperfect person, and we superimpose those characteristics onto God. And that's problematic because God 
is a perfect father. You see, God is the perfect completion of our earthly fathers. Everywhere that our earthly father lacked, God is abundant. And so we can go to him as a perfect father. Now, think about this. A perfect father doesn't just give anything that his children wants, right? He doesn't just give without any discretion. No, a perfect father has to learn the word no. Because a perfect father is, 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 is committed first and foremost to the growth and development of their children. Beyond even the happiness, the momentary happiness of their children. And so God doesn't always just give us what we want any more than a perfect earthly father would or should give us everything that we want. Correct? Now, I heard Chuck Swindoll um, say this. That's not true. I heard Dave Ramsey say that Chuck Swindoll said this. (laughs) So just to be accurate. Said that God answers us yes, no, and grow. Those are the three ways that God answers us when we approach Him. I had often said that God answers yes, no, and wait, but I think I like His better. Yes, no, and grow. Meaning I want you to grow through this. I'm not going to say yes or no. I want your faith to grow. I want you to grow through this process. So as we've kind of wrapped up and we're finishing up this series, we've, we've spent time uh, with, with Matthew 13 for the last several weeks. We've looked at these parables. We, we've listened to Jesus telling these, these stories that have these, these huge significant um, purposes and intentions behind them. And ultimately what we've seen is we've actually seen Jesus laying out the vision for why he came. That's, that's really what Matthew 13 has been all about. Now, now let me just say this. Um, I know that all of you haven't been here for the entire series, and you can actually go back on the website and listen to the talks that, that have led up to this particular point in the series. But also, you can spend some time journeying through at home, uh, journeying through Matthew 13. And, uh, and really, you, you'll see as you begin to journey through Matthew 13 that Jesus is saying, this is my vision statement. This is, this is Jesus articulating why He came. And ultimately, when you begin to, to stretch through and walk through Matthew 13, you see that Jesus, Jesus is saying, my vision in coming was to bring the kingdom of God. That was my vision. Well, you may say, well, I thought Jesus' vision was to come to save us. Well, if you think about it, isn't that completely connected to Him bringing the kingdom? Part of Him bringing in the kingdom was that you and I had the opportunity to be made right with our relationship with God. Any of the the sub-purposes or sub-reasons of Jesus coming can all be connected back to Jesus' vision of bringing in the kingdom. He's saying that, that's why I came. 
That's why I'm here, is to bring about the kingdom of God. So Jesus' simple stories illustrates the kingdom of God. He teaches us some fundamentals about establishing a vision for our lives. And so I want us to, these kind of next steps are going to be next steps for the entire series. This is kind of wrapping up the series here. And so what I want us to do is, as Jesus has kind of given us the example of setting a vision for our lives, we're going to write, we're going to, I want to challenge you to write a personal vision for your life. Now, some of you may say, I've never thought of my life in those terms. I mean, vision statements are for businesses and corporations and organizations and churches and ministries and nonprofits, and that's what vision statements are for. But ultimately, what I want to suggest is that God has created you and He's created me to live out a very clear vision in your life. Now, you may say, I've never even thought about that. I just kind of go day to day and, and just kind of kind of do my thing. I, I'm, I'm just getting by day to day. But I want to suggest to you that if Jesus' vision is to bring in the kingdom of God, then you as a Christ follower have a vision. He has a vision for your life that is connected back to bringing in that kingdom of God as well. And He's crafted you and created you for a very specific vision and a very specific purpose. So I want to challenge you as we finish up this series to ask the question, what is the vision statement for my life? What's the vision that I'm constantly moving towards? I kind of look back at a, a vision statement I had written for my life several years ago. It says this, to communicate the gospel, to connect people to Jesus, and to see those I influence conform to Christ-likeness. That was kind of my vision uh, statement for myself that I wrote when I was probably 19, 20 years old. Communicate, connect, and conform. The three C's of the vision of my life. A friend of mine, his vision statement goes like this. To encourage, equip, and empower the next generation of leaders. He, he just had a sense that God was calling him to invest in the lives of, of, of young leaders. That, that was something that God had called him to do. And do you see really how those are different vision statements? They're, they're kind of different different emphasis, different specifics, but both of them can be connected back to the kingdom of God. We need to connect people to Christ, but we also need to raise up leaders in the kingdom of God as well. And we need leaders not just in the church, although we are desperately in need of leaders in the church, but we need leaders in business, and we need leaders in the arts, and we need leaders in science, and we need leaders in the marketplace, and we need, we need leaders on the internet, and we need leaders who are bloggers, and we, we need to raise up leaders in all of these different areas, and that was kind of the point of his vision. 
Now, some of you might say, man, you know, I, I'm kind of young. I'm just kind of getting started in my career. And, you know, I just, I hadn't really given much thought to a vision. I just want to say you're never too young or it's never too early to start wrestling with this idea of God's vision for your life. And then some of you might say, you know, man, I, I'm kind of old. I'm retired maybe, or I, I'm, you know, I'm on the, the latter part of my life here. I'm, I'm just not, you know, I've kind of done the vision of my life and it's kind of moved off, kind of moved on from that. My vision is to play golf, you know, or whatever. My challenge to you is, are you dead? Because if you're not dead, then God still has a vision that He wants you to be living out. Because as John Piper would say, don't waste your life because you only get one. I want to give you some three words, the three uh, S's of personal vision statements. And these will just kind of help you begin to craft uh, the vision statement for your life. The first one is, a vision statement is simple. Okay, a vision statement is very simple. If you look back at Matthew 13, Jesus didn't write this PhD you know, thesis of the kingdom of God that nobody could understand. You know what Jesus did? He told simple stories about everyday things so that we could understand the deep things of life. Isn't that amazing? He used simple things to articulate the deep things. So a vision is, is simple. A personal vision statement is specific. Now all of us, of course, have sort of this banner vision over our entire lives as Christ followers to give glory to God. And so your personal vision statement isn't just, I was created to give God glory. Well, yes, you were, and that is good. But the question is, how? What was your, what was the thing that God has stirred up in you? What's the thing that burns in your heart? as it relates to your life and the vision that He's given you. It's a little more specific than just, I want to give God glory. How? How has He fashioned you to do that? Now, I don't want you to get this confused. I wish I had said this yesterday, yesterday morning, but I didn't think about it until today. I don't want you to get... So I guess that means y'all are getting a little extra, okay? The Monday night crowd always gets the, the benefit of an entire day of evaluating the sermon from the morning before, so um, maybe it's a little different. But I, I don't want you to get this confused with your vocation or your career, okay? You may have a vision statement for your career, or a vision statement for a business, or, or whatever. You, that, that's, that's different. The, vision, the personal vision statement for your life is something that you're living out regardless of what career you're in. It's something that you're living out regardless of the vocation that you're in. 
Your vocation or your career may be the vehicle that God uses for you to live that vision out. But your career and your vocation, your occupation, are not your vision. That I'm just trying to, to make sure we keep those separate. All right? And then finally, I, I think I might have made this word up, but... Um, when you're a, when you're a pastor and you have you know the letters going and you think man I got to have another S, um, so you, sometimes you just go I'm just gonna make a word up, yeah. So I might have made this one up. Sayable, simple, specific, and sayable. You can put my name beside that word as the one who invented it, and if you ever use it, I would appreciate that you cut me a royalty check. Um, if I see uh, Anderson Cooper saying "sayable" on on TV, I'm going to know that y'all that y'all started spreading it around. Here's the idea: the idea is that it's a statement that you can carry with you. It's a statement that you can articulate very quickly and easily. You may say, "Well, man, Walt, yours was kind of long. I don't know that I could remember that one." And I understand that, but the 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 hinge of it are those three words: communicate, connect and conform. I can keep those three words with me. And I can formulate the idea just by having those three words. Now, I've, I've sort of intentionally uh, etched out some time this evening. And we're going we're gonna to go ahead and come to the table. And how it's going to work is, is we're going to have... Uh, communion begin and be open to you. But I want to challenge you before you come to just take a few minutes and to begin praying through that question. God, what is the vision statement for my life? How does my life connect to your vision statement, Jesus, of bringing about the kingdom of God? What's my role in that? How have you fashioned me and created me to be a part of that process? I want you to begin to ask him that question. And I'm not saying, hey, before you can take communion, you need to turn in your work and I'll check it. All right, that's, that's not what we're talking about. It's not even about walking out of here with a vision statement written. But it's just about beginning that conversation. It's about not waiting until we get home to begin to have that conversation. And maybe God puts, uh, He might even put some words in your mind or in your heart as you're praying and just kind of flip over to the other side and, of the paper and maybe just jot down some thoughts and, and ideas. And then maybe later this week you can spend some time formulating that statement. And I, and I would invite you, whether it be via Facebook or um, or email or whatever, to shoot me a line and say, hey, Here's, here's kind of what I've come up with. And if you'd like to have a conversation, uh, you know, in that way about, you know, hey, here's kind of what I'm working through, and I don't mind being a resource to help you walk through that process. You see, as we do come to this table, I think this table is an unbelievable reminder of the fact that Jesus is focus was always on vision. 
He never got off track, did he? He never wavered. He never stepped outside of the vision of his, of his calling of why he was there. And ultimately, when he, when he took that bread and he broke that bread, and he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. He was saying to them, I am here to bring about the kingdom of God. And I'm about to do it. And when, and when he poured the wine, and he said, this wine represents my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. He was saying, I've come, my vision is to bring about the kingdom of God. We'd love to invite our servers to come. And I'd love for you to take some time to think through what is my life's vision? Here at Renovation, we use wine. If you choose not to use wine, then we've got some juice that the servers can, uh, can give to you. I would love it if you would take that Connect card um, that you've got and fill that out. If you're a first-time guest, we just really value um, getting to know you a little bit better through that card. And if you've been around for a while, we just ask that you put your name on it there. As you come, there will be an opportunity for you to be prayed for. In either corner of the room, we'll have folks that will be there. Also recognize that there could be someone in here who goes, you know what, I don't have a vision for my life, and I've never even given my life to Christ. I've never even gone down that road. I want to invite you tonight to begin that journey and to walk out of here with a new vision. All you have to do is say a prayer of just sorry, thank you, and please. Say, God, I'm sorry that I've lived for myself. Thank you for dying on the cross to, to pay the penalty for my sin. And now please fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live my life for you. If you'd like to have somebody walk you through that prayer, our, our prayer folks in the corners would be happy to do that, as well as if you have any need, healing, anything that you need uh, prayers for, they'd be happy to join you in that. As the music begins to play, please take a moment to pray through those things and then come.